The electric chair no longer supports nor participates in the Horror Palace Network. It's the electric chair. Blood is blood. Welcome to the Electric Chair. I'm your host, Midnight Corey, and this is the very first episode of this exciting new podcast here on the Horror Palace Network. Thanks for listening. Let me give you a quick rundown here of what this particular podcast is all about. I'm putting out a show every week. Yes, every Sunday, I'll be bringing you a new episode where I have somebody new on with me. Horror filmmakers, horror actors, authors, musicians, other podcasters, people like that. I'll be talking with them about their love of horror, and we'll be doing some movie reviews together as well. Now, I'll also be doing reviews of new and classic horror movies myself. I'll be talking about different horror topics that come to mind as well. So a lot of horror on this show, all from within my crazy mind and from whoever I'm bringing on to the show. So every week, somebody new will be on with me, and uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. That's not to say I'm not going to bring people back that have already been on. That's not what I meant to say, but uh, we will be having quite a wide variety of people for your listening enjoyment. So again, thank you all for listening, and let's turn the electricity on. They shave your head and slit your trousers and strap you to your seat. Oh, that seat... 10,000 volts coursing through this poor, frail body with which I am cursed. I got lots of great things for you this week. Uh, first and foremost, this is really exciting. Actress, model, Melanie Roble is going to join me here in a little bit. Great girl. Uh, we're going to be talking about her career as well as uh, reviewing a very, very cool horror film. So you're going to want to hear that. That was a lot of fun talking with Melanie, and I thank her for coming on with me. Uh, I'm also going to be talking about a relatively new horror movie called Creature from 2011, doing my review of that. So, uh, before we get to all of that, though, let me talk to you about a few things here that uh, has been going on. Uh, first of all, just wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Scream Magazine. Now, Scream is uh, Britain's premier horror magazine, published bi-monthly, and um, I just hooked up with them on Twitter here not long ago, and uh, they're really, really cool, and uh, they, they send me a couple issues here, so I have issue 9 and 10. 9, of course, I was really excited about because uh, it's all about zombies, and uh, 10 is about vampires. Um, they talk about a lot, of, a lot of new stuff, stuff coming out in the horror world, uh, interview a lot of actors and, and uh, filmmakers, stuff like that, so it's a really 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 cool magazine so uh yeah yeah go check out uh, scream magazine that's at screamhorror.com but uh thank those guys for sending these over to me very very great um now i just read this week um you know i on uh, the podcast we were doing before this weekly horror movie podcast um we reviewed suspiria as one of the, the last reviews that we did it was like 24 and uh suspiria fantastic argento movie in my eyes not for everybody obviously but uh it's one of the movies that i really really love and of course they're remaking it uh and they, they've been in talks about remaking this movie i guess for several years now and uh, it, it had stalled at one point but now they are remaking it now I'm not one of these guys that's automatically just going to blast a remake just because 
it's a remake. Um, because as we've seen over the past several decades, there are a lot of really, really great remakes out there. And I've said this a lot before, but, you know, I'm talking about The Thing from 82 and uh, Night of the Living Dead from 1990 and, and Dawn of the Dead from 2004. So there are a lot of remakes out there that have redone movies that I really, really love, like the ones I just mentioned, you know, especially the zombie movies. Um, but they did justice to them. They did them right. They they made them movies in and of themselves, and, and it, it just, it, they're fantastic. So I'm not going to automatically um, discredit a remake just because it's a remake. And uh, I know there are a lot of feelings and opinions, and people get passionate about this. But, uh, you know, to me, if you can make a good movie, then, you know, make a good movie. If it's a remake or if it's uh, totally original, I don't care. Just, you know, entertain me. You know, it doesn't mean all of these original movies are just gone forever once you remake them you know halloween you know i thought was uh, really great too so you know yeah whatever but suspiria you know I'm, I'm tempted to say oh don't remake it don't remake it it's such a great film but you know then again i'm curious to see how they're gonna uh, update it um and they've attached a director to this i guess he wrote the script uh david gordon green and he really hasn't done any horror before uh, i think the only thing i recognize that this guy did was uh, Pineapple Express, which I haven't even seen, but I've just heard of, um, and I know what it's about. But uh, this isn't a horror guy, and so he has a script for the movie, and it's been approved. It's it's going to be made. They're casting for it right now. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how a non-horror filmmaker is, is going to do in a movie such as this. Maybe it'll be great. I, I really hope it is. But uh, so, yeah, I was just reading more about that this week, and, you know, eh, we'll see. But uh, I'll keep following that, and we'll see where it goes. Um, one other thing that I happened upon this week that's, you know, fairly entertaining. You know, I'm a big zombie guy, uh, and uh, man, man, the, the popularity of zombies has just exploded, man, in the past decade. Wow, wow. And a lot of people are just all into the zombie survival stuff, and I credit that pretty much singularly to Max Brooks for his fantastic zombie survival guide. And he, I, I think he's really caused this whole wave of obsession with zombie survival. What would you do? Where would you go? And, and people are just so into it. And I'm tempted to say, man, you know, I've had about enough of this, you know. It's it's getting to the point where I'm just tired of seeing stuff. But I saw this website, and it's just like I can't help it because it is kind of fun. Uh, it's called Map of the Dead. So if you go to mapofthedead.com, it, it's it's kind of cool because what it does, it utilizes Google Maps, and uh, they've taken that and made a site where it, it'll it'll know where you are. You can have it track your location, stuff like that. And then uh, it'll show you all of these places that are the most helpful, that uh, you're going to want to make sure you know where they are during a zombie attack, you know, like the local uh, pharmacies, malls, shops, things like that. It has danger zones, places you're going to want to avoid. And so it has this whole big map, and uh, it's, it's actually really cool. Uh, <laughs> I had fun just clicking around it and seeing what was going on, especially in my area. So, uh, you know, while... Well, the whole zombie thing probably will never happen. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to pretend and make believe, and and this is this is pretty cool. So yeah, Map of the Dead, really cool. But uh, all right, well, enough of my bantering. Uh, let's get on to uh, talking about some horror movies. And first off, let's talk with Melanie Roble. Send the big one for the girl and the policeman. I'll turn on the Dicto Robotary so we may converse with them. I'd like to welcome right now to the show actress, model. 
Melanie Robel. She's she's actually done a lot over the past few years that she's been acting. Uh, she's done uh, horror movies such as Postmortem America 2021 uh, and Bikini Monsters. So a fantastic Melanie. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for talking with me tonight. Thank you. And thank you for having me on here. I'm very excited. Awesome. Awesome. As am I, because like I told you uh, before uh, we started the show here, I've been reading a lot about you and you're a very fascinating person. Just kind of give us an idea about uh, your career and maybe how you got started in, in acting and doing modeling, things like that, because I know you have a pretty interesting story. So could you tell us a little bit about where you came from? Well, I was born in Fort Riley, Kansas, at the Big Red One Hospital. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I'm back. And so we moved around a lot, like every three years. So I never really got to do, like, what most kids got to do. You know, like, I was always the new kid in the cafeteria, which I think that helps me a lot out in acting because it means you're always judged. So it's just one of those things. And I was a very rambunctious kid. What happened was when I was, I used to be a classical bassoonist and I was actually one of the top ranking bassoonists in the top, like I would say 10 in the state of Alabama. And I was competing with people like high school level and to the extent of what, um, how far I was going in my career at a young age, I was at a competition in which they do these solo and ensembles and you play a solo and you get judged on it. And you don't have time to, like, really, like, introduce yourself. You go in, you play your piece, and then between you and the judge, you always have, like, a fabric between you. And so, and, like, they're not allowed to talk to you. They're only allowed to say, okay, play, and then you leave. So it's really intimidating. Wow. And I had one, the guy that listened to me do it, because I was 15 playing Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is really high up on their end soon level. Because with bassoons, they have two octaves. They have one, and then like which is like the lower. And once you get to a certain level, you learn to play the higher notes. So it's like two different um, music staffs, if that makes sense. Right, right. And so he was like, okay, cool. He took all, he went behind the cover and said, where's your mom? And I was like, well, she's outside. He grabs my hand, and he finds my mom. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, what's going on? Because, you know, I was freaking out. I'm, You know, I'm 15. I'm young. Uh -oh. And he was like, here's my card. When she's ready to go to college, call me up. She has a scholarship waiting. Oh, my gosh. So then while it's in that, after that happened, I got my arm twisted around by this girl because I was talking to a boy that she liked. And I had to go uh. and I got, like, damaged. It healed. But I couldn't play as much as I used to because in the bassoon, your left hand is your majority hand. So we moved, thankfully, which was a good move for me. And I was really depressed because, you know, I was music. Music means music. You know, mm. I was so focused on it. I didn't do anything else. And so we came here and I was like, well, you know, I'm going to try in Florida. And so I'm going to try it again. And, you know, because nurse can regenerate. So I was like, okay, cool, let's try it. And I couldn't move my hand as fast as I used to. And people were making me get to last chair because you can challenge, like a certain time, you can challenge your, like the first chair person. Mm -hmm. And I was always going down because I couldn't move it as fast. So I got really depressed and I switched schools because of it. And I went to Cocoa Beach High School where, you know, that's where I'm, my alumni is from. And... I punched a redhead kid and <laughs> I made the band director cry and they were like, okay, we had enough of your daughter. You know, 
we're going to expel her. And my mom's like, um, that's what she wants to do. You know, why would you do that? And they're like, well, where do we put the bad kids? And they're like drama class. Cause I was already in art class. And I'm in a lot of mischief in art class a lot. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so like, so like, you know, that happened. And, uh, my teacher is like, cause I used to sing and, my teacher was like, well, you know, you need to become a triple threat because every dancer, you need to dance, you need to be able to act, and you, you can sing, so do that. So I was like, okay. And I didn't really like theater all that much. I really didn't like acting. I mean, it, it sounds funny. Like, I can't read a book in the middle of a classroom. I freak out. It's just, it's weird, but I can act. Wow. And, and so I was like, I like dancing. I don't have to talk. And it's really challenging. And it's so much more fun and you get to feel good looking men in tights all day. So <laughs> for, you know, but an awesome career choice. So I was in this company and I was making my debut as a soloist and my partner dropped me on accident because the girl before him, like the before me was for a dancer. She was heavy and he overcompensated. And I landed on my upper back. I landed on my lower back, my butt, my legs, and then I hit my head. And my partner, who accidentally put me to the, like threw me to the ground, caught me in time before I rolled off the stage into like a six to eight foot um, orchestra pit. Wow! So I took a break and I had to do physical therapy on my back, and it was awful. And during this time, I grew. Anyway, I was. Because I'm Scandinavian, and we tend to have later growth spurts. So I grew about four inches. I was like five four, and my dance teacher saw me. I was crying every single time I went to class because I'm like, I have a high pain tolerance. I can get through this. I can get through this. <laughs> you know, I want to be a dancer, and that's what dancers do. And because I actually, during my debut performance, like the closing night, because we only had two performances, I was actually performing with hairline fractures on my ribs too. So you can Man. only imagine the pain I was in. So my teacher's like, this isn't worth it. And one of my other teachers like, I have a back injury and, you know, it cut, you're going to cause more damage. You're too young. This isn't worth it. And my teacher's like, why don't you try acting again? So I was like, whatever. So I didn't really <laughs> do it until I was 19. And my younger sister was like, mom, let's go to this management open call. And I went there for support. My mom's like, why don't you, why don't you just go in there and just do it? You know, just go in there and see if this is what you want to do. And it's fine. She didn't get it the first time, but <laughs> I got the contract I to be a part of this management company. And I wasn't even expected to go to LA at that time when I was 19. Cause most of the time you had to wait a year uh -huh. or two to get, to be able to do it. And my opening class, I had, a, I found a monologue and they made me read it. And my first my two managers mouths dropped and they were like where the fuck did this girl come from <laughs> she because you know they didn't expect this dancer girl to be able to do it so right. so then what happened was i went there i had the red hair you know you've probably seen it if you have facebook you can probably see my old headshots on there i had red hair and it just wasn't working i had the abercrombie polo you know the khaki pants looking like the Hollister model girls, you know, that look. <laughs> uh -huh. And I hated it. And I just couldn't get an agent. So I dropped out of acting for a while. And I came back into it all by accident. 
So Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like it's really funny that I got back into it and a lot of people that truly know me, because I seen the dark side of the business when I was nineteen mm. and stuff, people are like, I can't believe you came back into it. And I'm like, Yeah, me too. But I like <laughs> it. I meant to do it. Oh, so yeah, it seems that you are, because all these circumstances they just keep pushing you back into acting, it seems like. And uh so this is this is what you're meant to be doing. And, uh, exactly. It's you know, and I like the fact it's taking me a little longer. Like, cause right, right now I have my rubber band in, so if I'm kind of hard to articulate, please let me know. But oh, you're good. My rubber, I have a rubber band in my mouth because I have braces. <laughs> talk oh, about really? yeah, talk about a funny circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> A friend of mine, which don't get me wrong, I'm so thankful for it, was like, he was like, girl, you guys got some gnarly incisors, you need to go get braces. And I was like, ha, 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 okay. <laughs> and so I went to the dentist and I got back into them. So that's uh, why I'm kind of hissy. Oh, no, no, you sound fine. I, I, now, do the braces um, kind of hinder anything acting-wise? Is that something, do you have to kind of put off acting while you have them? Or is that something that, that can be worked through? You know, I only had to take them off for one project and probably soon too, because I had to get vampire teeth made. Ah. So, and you can't do that over the braces, but so far it hasn't. Like, um, I was really good about emailing the people that I got cast in films, which this is a must for all actors, you know, listen up, <laughs> that if you get braces like that or a tattoo, See, for mine, mine wasn't baby reasons. Mine was more health reasons. So mm. I felt I did I shouldn't have, you know, like talked to people that I had contracts with, and I was pre, uh, like in pre-pro with. Um, but I emailed them and I said I have to get these. I don't have a choice. So if I have to lose this project, I totally understand. And they were cool about it, you know. So I don't think it has. I mean, the fact that I look younger, I think, helps me in the braces factor. If I looked like I was in my, like, 30s or 40s, I think it would hinder me. So, do you have any uh, tattoos? Because you mentioned some tattoos also. Do you have any, at, at least any noticeable ones, you know, that would that would stick out, you know, if you were you were doing something, maybe in a tank top or something? Any, any tattoos at all? The funny thing is, people always think I have them. I don't. I have no tattoos whatsoever. I want them, but right now I feel I can't have them, even mm. if I wanted them, because it does hinder you to a certain extent when it comes to films, I believe. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not saying that that's everybody's opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would think so too, because if you have, especially one, you know, you have, you have them on your arms or, you know, on the, on the, on your back, something like that, then that's kind of extra makeup. You know, of course they're going to probably want to cover a lot of that up a lot of the times in in whatever roles you're playing. Exactly. It's, you know, time is money. And I think that's what a lot of people need to remember before they get tattoos and stuff. Time is money. And if I was a producer and it's a choice of a girl who, if I saw this girl had her whole chest tattooed and her upper back and her arms tattooed, I would look at them and say, how come you didn't tell me you had tattoos? And even if their headshots have like long sleeves on and they're like, well, I didn't tell you because I wanted to roll, I fire them on the spot yeah. because that's my time. That's my money I'm investing. And it's a lot more money to cover those up. Right. 
Uh, I'm interested in, uh, I think, talking first about Postmortem America uh, 2021, because you got to work with, of course, one of the most legendary scream, scream queens of all time, Linnea Quigley. And, she and she how's is that? so sweet. I love Linnea Quigley. She's so talented and she's so good and she's right on the money mm. working with her. Awesome. Now, you know, we talk about Scream Queens. Now, is that something you do a lot of horror? So is that something that you could uh, maybe see yourself kind of attaining at some point? Do you want to you want to kind of achieve that status as being a Scream Queen? If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's my um, personal opinion. I mean, like, I always I consider myself more of a person who is the actor who does horror movies. I see myself more like that. I don't see myself as a screen queen. But, you know, because when I picture screen queen, I think of girls who are like long haired, big boobs, or just, you know, that look. Mm -hmm. And I'm not necessarily that look. I'm more, I feel like I, right now, I look like an out of shape dancer, you know, but <laughs> I'm more, I'm more like average body build. You know, I have broad shoulders. You know, I always feel like I look like a linebacker, you know, sometimes. Well, from what but, I've seen, uh, from what I've seen on the Internet, I mean, you're very beautiful and you're very. Uh, thank you. So that's uh, I don't get that impression at all. But <laughs> well, like, you know what I mean? But like, if you look at me and other girls, I mean, like, what's what's a realistic screen queen that's an up and coming that we and her sort of have the same look like, OK, there's an actress here and she's a sweetheart. I haven't worked with her yet. But look at her in Committed Me to Julianne. I mean, I have short hair. I'm tattoo free. I'm uh, very exotic looking. So, you know, there really isn't, a, from the research that I've done, I don't think there really is a screen queen status yet with short hair. I don't think it's happened. Hmm. Like, Julianne, she has the bigger boobs, the longer hair, and the tattoos. But if you cover us, cover both me and her up, and if she was four inches taller, she would be my competition, but for the fact that she has tattoos, she's five four. You mean her really wouldn't be in each other's age bracket, especially since I play a lot younger. Yeah, yeah, and you gotta kind of have that bad girl kind of kind of thing going on around you, you know. And and exactly. I, I I don't get that from you. I get you, you maybe have uh, from what I, I I gather just from kind of reading about you and researching you a little bit is that uh, you kind of maybe have a little bit of attitude, you know, a little bit, <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I don't get that like real man, she that's that's a bad girl. That's you know, I don't I don't get that kind of thing that from is you. Hilarious. I love it. You know, I'm one of those like yes, I have heard that from other people like, "Oh, you have an attitude." And you know, <laughs> it depends. You know, I'm I kind of I'm really easygoing. I think sometimes in my interviews, I'm a little bit more blunt, but that's from like my horrible first experience of acting where it was like I had to be told by my managers what to do, what to wear. I had acting mill clothing, and then I had my personal clothing. And it didn't match. So when I came back this time around, I was like, you know what? To a certain extent, until I have an agent or a manager, yeah, I was following their rules. But I'm also a lot older now than I was when I first started. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this on my own. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to wear my hair how I want to. I'm going to dress how I want to. If you want me to be mainstream, it's not going to happen, dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm... 
I have dark hair. I have amber eyes. I'm pale. You know, I don't want long hair. I hate it. <laughs> it's really? not going to happen. <laughs> so I think I hate the word attitude because attitude can come across so negative and, 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 and that can be associated with being a diva. I feel I'm just very blunt. I'm the mm. kind of person, if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. Like sometimes like I'm a little too blunt. Like for instance, I was on set the other, like some, at one time, and this actor just kept bitching and bitching. My career is <laughs> not going anywhere. I want to make more money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And he goes, well, I do free work. And I looked at him and I also was in a testy mood. And I said, then <laughs> stop doing fucking free work. <laughs> and, you I know, and coming someone, people don't know my true age um, because of the fact that I do play younger. Mm-hmm. My age range for right now is 16 to 21. And I play his daughter on the show, too. So it's one of those things where I can see how it's very intimidating. You see this girl who has short hair, 5'8", you know, telling these grown-ups like it is <laughs> when these people forget my age and they probably thinking, God, what is nice not no 16-year-old. <laughs> You know, I, I didn't I didn't mean attitude as anything negative uh, whatsoever. Um, you know, I just <laughs> meant it, it. It was a um, I guess more of a style, I think. Than, oh, uh, you know what I mean? Okay, That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rather than, you know, this, like you said, snooty or anything. I, I got nothing like that. Um, okay, where, where you're very cool and you, you know what you want. You're you're you just you, you got it going on. And it's that kind of attitude. You know what I mean? So that's thank you. That's what I meant there. But uh, very interesting. Um, so postmortem America. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit what that's about? Because this is a movie I want to see, especially since I see it's got the zombie thing going on because I'm a huge, oh, huge zombie fan. Um, and of course, too. you, I'm Linnea Quigley, it. It, it's, uh, uh, it looks really interesting. So can you tell me a little bit uh, what it's about? Linnea Quigley's character, Lucille, is tied to this guy named Severin who's played by Jim O'Rear, and he has these bands of assassins and it's Armageddon, and somehow, for some reason, zombies come alive. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to yell at me if he hears this interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, mine and Linnea's character, and Larry Laverty's character, who he plays Ray, has a very interesting tie to each other. And I can't wait for everybody to see it because Linnea and Larry are just so freaking awesome to work with. They're so right on the money and they're so good. And um, the thing is now, I don't, I know it's still in post. I don't know what I, well, I kind of do and I don't, but um, I think what, what happened is, is that it was supposed to be a full length movie. It was supposed to be my first full length. And what happened was he's breaking it down into shorts, like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Oh, okay. So I think that's what's going on. And I think he's trying to dissect it into that instead of just playing the movie out. I don't know. Yeah, actually. (laughs) Yeah, because um, 
of course, like I said, I was interested in this and I started looking. Um, he had, there's a Facebook page for it and then there's a, a website as well um, that you can check this out. And he was talking about the chapter one, chapter two things and the, the DVDs almost being available, almost being ready to, to distribute. And yeah. uh, so uh, but that's great. I hope, you know, maybe when that comes out, you know, maybe you'll join me again and we'll we'll talk about the movie. I'll actually watch it and then I can ask you stuff about it and we can we can I talk about zombies. And really, stuff. I'm really proud of it. I mean, like from what I did for that being my first full length movie. Well, you know, it was supposed to be my first full length. I'm really proud of what I did because I looked at the script because, you know, I've been out of business for some quite some time and I was rusty. And I looked at my coach, I found this coach, and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I have an idea, and I wrote down the notes that Karen gave me, and I said, I just needed, I had step A, and I had step Z. I just needed a small in-between stuff, so that's how I met my coach. Another movie that you've done that is, uh, I know a lot of people ask you about this one, because it's, it's the, the title alone is, like, really interesting. And uh, I've seen some pictures on, on the internet, and you, you might know what I'm going to ask you now, but uh, Bikini Monsters. Oh, that was so much fun. Oh, man. Oh, man. Tell me about that. I mean, this sounds wild. Like I said, I've seen some pictures. And uh, is that is that available? Can I can we watch that yet? Or or what's the status? Do you know? He took it off because he wanted to improve it. Um, And if I remember correctly, I remember him saying, I think, around June. So I'm really excited for that one. You know, it's about this scientist who wants to create the most perfect being and his experiment hasn't worked yet and all he gets is rejects so it's about him trying to find this perfect being it's really interesting i like it nice nice i've i've read actually quite a bit about it and i can't wait um and you've done a lot you know we, we haven't talked about the modeling thing what i actually i'm most interested in that i saw that uh, you modeled uh for an artist who drew the cover of a comic book. Um, and it was called Playzom. And, oh, with uh, Dennis Willman. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. How'd you get into that? He found, if I remember correctly, he found me on Facebook. And it was at a certain point where my mom sat me down and said, I'm good, you know, if you want to do what you want to do, that's fine. You know, I will support you. But you have to figure out, do you want to be a really good model? Mm-hmm. and go for that or do you want to be an actor and i was like i'd rather act because it's more challenging than sitting there and looking pretty <laughs> so he found me on facebook and he was like well you know i did this thing called play zoom and i was like whoa nelly you know hold up hold up because my end of jokes is is that i want to be in playboy and that's yeah. the closest thing to playboy that i want to be in <laughs> and i was like i don't do nudity because then i strictly I hadn't done as much as I have now. I was like, I don't do nudity because I do protect the fact that I do play younger and I play teenagers. And he said, oh, you know, um, no, it's okay. It's just implied. And we all, you know, we draw and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that he's making it into a magazine because I've told him before, like, you need to make this into print. It's hilarious. It's a cute idea. You're really getting into this whole. I keep bringing up the Scream Queen thing, but you know, you're kind of you're kind of headed there. I see whether whether that's your goal or not. And uh, you know, if it, like I said, if it happens, it happens. You know, like I'm one of those. You know, and people are like, what do you want? A queen be put on top, like a crown being put on top of like, <laughs> the head? No, I like the romantic idea. Like to me, 
until the press starts calling you a screen queen, like, right away, like, for a long time, then I think that's when you become one. But I really, truly feel like if another screen queen, you know, gives you the title, that's the way, you know, that's the way it should be. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to use Linnea because I really look up to her. You know, if Linnea comes up to me in a convention and tells the press Melanie Roble, you know, screen queen Melanie Roble, that's when I'd be like, Damn, I finally did it. I'm there. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I find that more romantic and I find that more um way it should be. Yeah, it's more credible but, that way. I mean, it's coming straight from from a scream queen, you know, to the next one. So Exactly, cuz like that's a pet peeve I have. Like, you know, somebody asked me that question before and I know I get into trouble for it and this is just me becoming blunt. It's like you know, a lot of times with the horror industry, I'm starting to realize that some of the act screen queens and actors and stuff in there, like, you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. Mm-hmm. There's people I know that call them screen queens, and they're technically not one. They only work with, like, maybe, like, the same two directors. They put on, like, cute underwear, and it's like, look, I'm the screen queen, and I do modeling, and I'm a pinup, so I'm a screen queen now, and that's not the way it is. Right. Honey, you got to put in the work about four or five years' worth. Of consistent horror movies with consistently different directors. Unless you work with somebody like fucking like Rob Zombie, go work with him all day long, you know, because that's a notable director. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have against anybody who works with the same director more than once. You know, that's cool. That means they like to work with you and stuff, and that's good. But you want variety. You know, it's like one of my acting coaches told me once that. If you work with a director three times, that's okay. But, like, four times, it's kind of iffy because people in the industry will take that, like, can she not get other people to work with you? I can see that. I can see that. Well, you're right on, man. Preach it, sister. That's uh, that's <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You're, you're, you're dead on. And I, I, love, I love the fact that you're blunt. That is so cool. That's, you just got to be honest and, and everything. And so I appreciate that. It gets me into a lot of trouble. But I would rather be known as the blunt one who it has the misconception of being a bitch than being the one who's manipulative. Right. Like there's, you know, you know what I mean. Like you know, there's politics in everything, and you have to realize that. Like you can have a nine to five job and you have that aspect, but manipulation, it that's not cool. That's not the way you should play the game, and it'll catch up to you. It's like people who fake it till you make it. That is so awesome. You're very real and you're not going to compromise that, you know, and you're going to do what you're no. going to do. I, man, th- th- that's awesome. Very cool. So you do horror and, and what do you think the appeal of horror is? You know, I'm, I'm a big horror fan and I have, I have trouble even, even I think defining that a lot of times. So why do you think people go for it? And, and why do you even gravitate toward that yourself? Um, I think with people who like horror, I think it started off as a taboo. Because remember, way back in the day, you did horror movies. It was on the level as porn. Right. And that's one thing I always tell the younger kids that I meet up with who are like, I want to be a screen queen. I always tell them, you have to be very careful because some of it can be borderline softcore porn. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's the way it is. And so I think that's how it got started. First, it was a taboo. And then it kind of grew more popular, maybe like around the 50s, like with Ed Wood and the old black and white horror movies. And I think it was a great way of trying to get scared, but in a safe environment. Like some people go to fetish clubs to get their jollies off and the adrenaline going. 
some people go on roller coasters. I think that's what horror movies is about. And I think that the fact that the, my generation is probably different from your generation, so we're more open-minded. And right now, I think the trend is, it's kind of like that gross-out game. Who can gross out more people? Who can get more blood in there without being in naked girls and naked men without being exploited? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it's actually interesting because you're not 100% horror. I mean, you're actually, you're fairly diverse. And Thank the stuff you. that you do... Um, uh, I know you have some web web series going on right now that aren't anywhere near horror. Actually, they're they're kind of outside no. of that. Um, so it's interesting. What what other things are you you into right now that that might not be horror? Um, right now I like a lot of dramas. I actually like more dramas than horror. Like I'm still trying to figure out who's the who in horror because I really wasn't raised in it. I like the old black and whites. I like the old classic ones like Rosemary Baby and I and nice. I don't give a shit about the background of him. I think it's you know, I don't agree with it, but you know, he is a good director. I like Roman Polinski. Mm, I like yeah. that kind of stuff, like the psychological stuff like that, like that psychological horror and where you have to really really think about it. Cool. So that's uh, the aspect of horror that I like. Some of the stuff, like the torture porn stuff, I'm not a big fan of it. But, you know, if someone pitches me one, two, I, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be kind of a crazy line that you have to walk because, you know, you kind of have your preferences and the thing that you, that you like and agree with and, and everything. But then again, this is this is your career, you know, and, yeah. and maybe you will you will get hired to uh do a do a role in, in some kind of fluff kind of torture porn horror kind of thing that really has nothing to it but a bunch of bunch of violence and gore and no real story and and things like that so how would you approach that i mean would would you have a problem doing something like that even if it's gonna really boost your career how, how would you take that you know you have to sometimes like you have your standards and sometimes you have to waive your standards and see, say to yourself, is it worth it? Is it going to do it? Because at some point, you're going to sell out. It's just the way it is. You're going to be in a bad remake of something of something. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. And you have to stand back and take out your personal beliefs. Like, the thing I have a hard time with is um, violence against children. Oh, yeah. And violence against animals. But... When I enter that situation, I have to take my beliefs out of it because I'm not there to play Melanie Robel. I'm right. there to play like Rattlesnake Sally or Tiffany Gary. And if I was like, a, and, you know, here's a good example. If I was like a really religious person, like my first acting, my second acting coach was, he said that one time he had to play something and he's religious and he looked up at God and he said, look, I am not Ken Grant. I'm going to be playing a pedophile. I don't remember what exactly what it was. And, you know, this is my work. Turn the other way. This isn't me. And he would go and do his job. I have an issue with people, and I'm not going to mention names, who says they're really religious, and it's okay for them to go murder people and act like they're raping people. Everything that's anti-Christian and use the foul language, but you will not use the Lord's name in vain. Isn't that interesting? It's, yeah, it's very interesting to see what people happens. You know, it's like um, yeah. one girl I knew of, you know, she would take pictures of her implied nude, and she did nudity for free. 
and she would do all this shit like that. And then one day, this director comes up to me and says, remember that girl that you worked with that you said save your tears for the camera for? And he, I said, yeah. He was like, well, all she does is get free work. I get asked to get her clothes taken off for free. And people try to sleep with her. And I said, wow. nope, nope, nope. Do not, do not try to get me something for her. I told her, once you cross that line and you do that for free, that's all you're going to get and that's all you're going to expect. So right. part of it, you have to figure out what is your limitations and what, you know, what you're willing to do. Like for one film, um, I'm not going to mention the name of the title. I had a horrible experience with the nudity. Horrible. And, you know, and the thing is, like, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you're nude on a set, especially for a female, you're vulnerable. You know, it's, it takes a lot to go out there, a lot of confidence, and you're nervous because you got the camera, you have to figure out how to do things without making things show and blah, blah, blah. And there was no robe, nothing there for me to cover myself up with. And it's just, it's Horrible, horrible, horrible. So you have to make aware, as a male director, any director, you have to be making aware of that That's a, it takes a lot to do that. And so after that, I'm like, you know, horrible experience. It's going to take me time to even try to think about going back to doing nudity like that. Yeah. I really respect that you have standards and that you will hold to them. And that's that's just what it is. And, oh, uh, yeah. I don't oh, see you yeah. really like selling out extremely. I mean, of course, everybody, everybody eventually sells out no right. matter what you're involved in. That's just the nature of the game. But I, I, I don't see you selling out to the point where you cross a line and you're just like, well, you know, you got to pay the bills. So I just got to cross the line. I don't see you doing that. No, no. It's the, the only way I can ever picture something like that is if, like, my niece, like, if my sister, um, had to, didn't have the money, and uh, let's just say it was like on a true blood level of a movie, and it had all that graphicness in it, and my sister's like, my niece had leukemia. I probably would do that and say, here's a bill, here's yeah. a check. That's probably about it. But if someone came up to me and said, you're going to be the next Twilight, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so when you watch movies, of course, you watch a lot of movies, you know, to be able to act in movies. You got to be a watcher as well. Um, yeah. And so what are your what are your favorites? I mean, uh, tell me, I guess, horror wise, what are horror? some of your favorite horror movies? Oh, goodness. I think one that I liked was Audition. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, goodness. It was a Korean movie, and it was the first movie that made me throw up where he, the uncle, like the father had sex with the daughter. I thought that, I was like, I will never do something like that. <laughs> that was my standard. So that was my good, I will never be in a movie like that kind of a standard of a film. I never, yeah. I vomited. <laughs> I remember the title. I love freaking movies like Rosemary's Baby and like Audrey Hepburn and Wait Until Dark. Mm. That movie, I think, is so scary. Yeah, I agree. And uh, actually, that's the movie that you've chosen for us tonight to review, which was really, yeah. really cool of you. And I can't wait to talk about this. Um, I have never seen this movie before. Uh, I've heard of it just here and there, but uh, 
I don't know. I, I've I, I've seen Audrey Hepburn here and there, but I'm I'm like a horror guy, and she's not a horror actress. You know, she's a mainstream, no. big time, you know, actress out there, and uh, it, not known for horror. So I haven't seen a lot of her stuff. So wait until dark, 1967. Could you give us like a just a quick rundown of what this is See? about? Basically, Audrey Hepburn is the lead in this movie, and um, from what I remember correctly, that there's these guys that are after her because in a, a, I remember, I can't remember, it was a teddy bear? Yeah, just a little doll. Yeah. A doll, yes. And it had heroin stuffed in it. And Mm -hmm. these guys are after her, but she can't, she doesn't know because she's blind. Right. And I found that so scary because every time you lose a sense, Anytime you have one of your six senses lost, it's just scary. And I think it's one of, I still think to this day is for like fashion forward because I don't think, I don't think there's another, I don't can't think of another story where it's like that with your sense being lost. Right. And that is, and, and sight, I think is the worst sense to lose, you know, out of all of them, you think about it and that would be the most crippling one. Of all of them. I think, especially today, I think, you know, I grew up with people with disabilities. I have people, I know people who have disabilities and, uh, you know, they're probably not going to like this. I said this, but if I ever became blind, I probably would kill myself because in this generation, this time period, I, you can't, unless you've been born that way, I don't, I, there's nobody trustworthy right. anymore. No, no, you're exactly right. And this movie plays on it because she gets this poor girl. She gets tangled up in this whole this whole heroin kind of ring out of her control. Audrey plays the sweetest, most innocent girl that that you'd ever met. And she's very trusting, uh, very sweet. And uh, through through some just strange circumstances, her husband it came into possession of this doll that was being smuggled through the airlines, full of heroin, like you said. And uh, so it ends up, it's in her apartment. And, of course, the, you know, the bad guys come looking for it. And she doesn't even know that it's there. She doesn't know what's going on. Her husband, obviously, you know, doesn't tell her anything. And these you guys come and try to run this crazy scheme. And that's, it, it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts what happens. Oh, I know. And you know how, you know, it's funny. And you know it's a good movie when it made, I believe, I think it was like the top 25 scariest moments. Yes. On Bravo. Especially the part where he comes out. You could tell that she was freaked out when you saw that knife. Not even, it looked like it just grazed her barely. I get goosebumps thinking about it. I get goosebumps to thinking about that final sequence whenever she starts shattering the lights in her apartment because she knows what's going on. I mean, she figures it out. She is very, very smart, and her other senses are heightened, especially her, her hearing, um, exactly. you know, to accommodate for her blindness. And, man, whenever she brings that apartment to complete darkness, and so it's her versus... The final bad guy. And I, I try not to spoil things, you know, for people who are listening that might not have seen this. But, man, that is scary. And have, have you ever read about what they actually did when they originally showed this in the theater just to no. heighten the effect? 
at the theater, they actually arranged it because there are certain laws and, and legal things that you have to leave certain lights on in the theater just for, for fire sake and, and things like that. Right. But uh, they somehow arranged it so that when it hit that point in the movie, whenever things got dark in the apartment at the end, she started smashing the lights and, and things. I mean, you go through several minutes of total blackness on the screen and all you have to work yeah. with is sound. And whenever that happened, literally every light in the theater was gone. So you are in, you are actually in, people freaked out. I mean, I, I, you read so much about people just so scared, so paralyzed with terror because they were thrust into the same blackness that they were experiencing on screen. And that is really, really cool. They're talking about it to this day, how scary that was. And I was watching it and I was genuinely scared. When it got that's to that a, part. That's why in the films I hope they never remake. I think if I remade it from like her character wise, I because you can have the tech you know, the technology is there, I would have blurred out some of the people because, you know, it's like deaf people. There's never anybody who's a hundred percent deaf. Nobody really isn't like a hundred percent blind. They see shadows. Mm. So I think it would have been more freaky if you made people look like shadows. Oh yeah, man. More from a blind person's perspective. Yeah, I mean this is this is amazing. Hepburn got uh, she was what nominated I think for an Oscar uh, for this role. I mean this is this is one of the ones that she is most respected for, and she plays a blind person so well. And we were talking even yeah. even before the interview started about the remake and how they could modernize things and kind of use modern technology to communicate the blindness a little bit better and you were, you were talking about you know they have contacts now that you can wear that that would you know kind of simulate that but uh how do you think that she pulled off this blind role did you believe the whole time that she was blind or, or... oh very very much so i think like one of my things like i have a problem with because i knew people like that when i was younger i mean and it's part of the reason like why like why ray charles and Stevie Wonder wore the sunglasses. Their eyes were always going everywhere, you know, because they don't have the training to focus. You know, like, unless you are someone who, who got, like, if I went blind right now, I have the eye muscles to be able to do it, but you, they don't. And so when people do that or they stare directly at somebody and you know they're staring directly at somebody, it's stuff like that that it just bugs the crap out of me. Like, um, like Augie in the that movie with the TV show on USA, I think he does a really really good job of it because he is a seeing man who has to play a blind man, and that's hard. Yeah, that'd be really tough, especially in the '60s, you know, because you're yes, especially uh... in the '60s when you know people with disabilities weren't as welcome then. Yeah, I mean. Depending on the disability, they're not welcome still now. But you know, but that's a whole political even, conversation to get yeah, into. Even more so <laughs> back then. Yeah, I know. And, and even more so back then. I mean, we're talking like what, almost you know, forty, fifty years ago, and yeah. they were uh, they were kind of looked down upon. And, you know, they were kind of a burden and and, and everything. But uh, she pulled this off, I think, in such a positive way. And she was the, uh, bar none, the most likable character in the whole movie. I mean, you really felt for her. 
and she was so sweet and innocent and all this stuff was happening to her and this poor girl you know it, you don't you don't really expect her to to live i guess exactly you know and and at the end and again i'm i'm trying not to spoil it but i know it's so hard yeah it is but but man she is not she is not as vulnerable as these criminals think and uh, no, she she pulls exactly. some things off yeah. Well, that's one reason why I liked the movie The Hammer, which is about the deaf UCF Hamill, Matt Hamill. Um, it shows him from when he was little to as a grown man, and it shows like he stood up for himself because he got made fun of. And I think people with this, you know, I think there's a misconception, especially in Hollywood, and I think it's getting better that, you know, not necessarily that if you have a disability, you're going to stand up for yourself. I mean, look at American Horror Story with that little girl who was mentally ill. I mean, it still, like, gives me goosebumps watching her with Jessica Lange, who I absolutely adore, going, I just want to be a pretty girl. And you're just like, <laughs> let her be a pretty girl, damn it. You know, because you feel so bad for her. But you're watching her going, like, wow, she's standing up for herself. For yourself and that's like for herself and that's like with the ringer you know i thought it was great i've seen two mentally slow children calling them each other retarded before right and they they make fun of each other they're mean to each other they pick on each other but people think they're like always happy and all the time and sweet and sometimes they're just not sweet little kids some of this um, felt, at the very beginning, I guess for a lot of the movie, it feels like a Hitchcock. Can you see yeah. that? It, it's it's totally psychological. It's it's all in this apartment. You know, very little of the movie takes place outside of the apartment. So you're in a confined space. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know if you've seen a lot of Hitchcock, but I'm thinking of like Rope and, yeah, and movies like that. Yeah, Vertigo. Vertigo, really yeah. That they they actually put that they restored it to um in color with way on dark because mm. I thought it was much more powerful in black and white. Yeah, so so much of this was psychological, and like I said, this was the first time I've seen this, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, is this a just a psychological kind of thriller here, and and when does the horror come in? Because because really, the terror doesn't set in until like the third act. You know, you're you're pretty far into the movie. Before things get really scary, you know, the lights go out, it yeah. gets crazy. And so setting up all of that takes some time and you have to invest a little bit into the story. You have to invest a little bit into getting to know the characters. And uh, so, so do you think like modern horror fans, you know, they've seen movies like Saw and, and things like that. Are they going to go back to a movie like this and are they going to get bored do you think through I this? I think they're going to get bored. I mean, like, I was, like, when I was in school, like, my parents forced me to learn how to focus. So I don't have this problem as much as most people do. Mm -hmm. But people my age and below, they don't have patience anymore for things like this. Um, they want to be, it's like um, Terry Gilman said once in an interview. People want to be entertained. They don't want to think. And that's why right. some of his movies are not really popular because you have to think. Right. And, you know, it's like um, in a horror. I mean, think about it. In a horror movie, especially now, you have about like maybe the first minute to capture somebody's attention. Yeah. 
you're I absolutely mean, right. And then you'll lose first, them. Yeah, exactly. Like your first impressions made within like what I think statistic is like five seconds. Yeah, and and people just uh, they don't they don't have the patience to make that investment in a movie that I think is so important in a movie like this because man, if you invest the time into this movie, it so pays off at the end, and that's oh, that's exactly. that's like so many of the classics. You know, you even go back and and talk about a lot of these black and white movies. You know, going back in the sixties, fifties, forties, thirties, twenties, even before that, and it's like you have to make an investment. And it so pays off at the end if you just wait it out. And this is one of those movies, you know, and uh, not to say that it's not interesting and it is not fun to follow um, because I was I was drawn in, you know, at the very first shot of this movie is yeah. a guy slicing open this doll and just inserting these little bags of heroin into the doll. So immediately, you, you know, you're like oh, heroin. Wow. This is this is the 60s. And heroin actually was a, even a bigger taboo, I guess, in the yeah. 60s than it was even now. Because now, you know, you see rock stars and you see everybody using heroin. And it's almost like a ho-hum kind of thing, even though it's very, very, you know, a very negative thing. But even back then, you know, heroin, it's that was a big deal. And so I was drawn in immediately, and I want to know, what is this old guy doing stuffing heroin into this doll? Why is this girl walking through this airport and dealing with some guy, and and what's going on? So the investment is so worthwhile. So it's like, how do you communicate that nowadays to people? I think a lot of it is is because of iPhones and iPads and things like that. It's They want it now, you know, like... And people don't have the patience to really wait for it anymore. Yeah, that's which uh, is quite sad. That is, that is. But uh, I mean, there there are certainly a lot of people out there who I think will appreciate it and uh, and can appreciate it. It's uh, but it's just not the trend anymore. This was an absolutely great movie. I mean, uh, I, I'm so glad that I did see it. I'm gonna watch it again. Good. And, and, I know you like definitely. it. I yeah. love it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and this is one of your favorites, of course. So if you're recommending this, you know, if you're going to even, you know, rate this on a scale of 1 to 10 and you'd tell, say you you meet somebody that says that they're a horror fan, how would you rate this on a scale from 1 to 10 and would you recommend that uh, they go out and, and see this? How would you How would you explain this to them? I would definitely would have to say you would, it's definitely 10 and you would definitely would have to wait and you have to watch everything and you have to really sit down you just can't like walk away and come back right it and takes I would some tell fun. them yeah and i would say i would recommend it to anybody and say that you definitely need to see it it's it's a classic everybody needs to have it every horror person needs to have it like it's like freaks you know yeah. like, i hope rob zombie because i remember hearing seeing that he wanted to remake it i hope that never gets remade too because it's lost people who don't understand that world, especially back then, are not going to understand that movie. It's like Wicker Man. Uh, I saw the original Wicker Man, and somebody my age, you know, they're thinking, why is this dude who's over 30 still a virgin? You have to work with the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh. I mean, unless you're really religious or, like, you feel that's the way you need to go, I'm not saying go have sex with everybody. But realistically, no one's not going. To, someone my age is going to look at that and go, "Really? 
And then yeah. you lose the story when you made him be in a divorcee. After watching the original and then re-watching the remake, I'm like, that doesn't make sense either. So that's yeah. what I always tell people who like complain about remakes and stuff. I'm like, you have to move <laughs> it to times. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's really cool. And and before, I, I, I'm going to rate this movie too and everything. But it's really interesting that you bring up, you know, remakes and you've mentioned Rob Zombie a couple times and everything. Like, a lot of people, especially a lot of people that have been in the horror thing a long time and they love they love movies like Friday the 13th and Halloween and Black Christmas and you know a lot of these original horror films they see a lot of them being remade and they get pissed and i i don't necessarily see remakes as being a negative thing you know i i see them as as being updated for the new generation and an homage exactly. to the original and I don't think horror fans are so dumb that they're just going to see the remake and think that that's all there is. I think they're going to know that that is a remake and they're going to go back to the original and, and still see it and be able to appreciate that. So what are your thoughts on remakes? Um, You know, there are some original ones I think are lame. And I'm sorry, you know, like the house on the left, John Carpenter's. Mm. I try to watch that. I fell asleep. It is so boring. I'm probably going to get hate mail after this. I like the remake a lot better. It's much more interesting. It goes to where it needs to go faster. But but then back then, people were willing to sit in the movie theater for a lot longer than people are now. You know, I have to appreciate, and I didn't say this because Zippo Dandy was in the room too. Like, I just got sick of people telling, asking Zippo Dandy, well, what do you think of the remake? What do you think of the remake? Blah, blah, blah. I'm always sitting here going like, well, I have to admire the fact, and I looked at the bluff, and I'm not saying this because you're sitting next to me. And I was like, I really appreciate the fact that Rob Zombie tried to make, explain how he became Michael Myers, because right. sometimes that's more interesting than what the, you know, what the original storyline was, just about this dude who is masked and kills people. So I have to admire, I admire him for doing it in that way. So I thought that was really neat that he tried to make it a little bit different. But then, you know, but I don't think it's a bad thing. It gets the people my generation who's never heard of some of these movies. And then they like it. They're going to go and watch the remake and go, oh, okay. Yeah, that one was much better. And they're going to make their friends watch it. And then, you know, then that's how you get new fans. It's how, like, the classic people are still going to conventions and getting their bills paid through it. Now, do I think they're going to remake, like, Return to Living Dead? No. I don't think that's mm. going to happen. Right. And that you are so dead on. I mean, this is this is really, really cool because you were you were lining up with so much of what I was going to say. And I, I didn't know what you were going to say about remakes and, and things like that. <laughs> but this is is so cool, especially because uh, on other podcasts that I've done, I've talked about Last House on the left, the original. And I just can't get into it. I, it, it just I don't yeah. know. It, it's so it, it's kind of stupid to me. I, I don't even know. But uh, I got so much slack for that. I mean, people, you know, horror fans, quote, horror fans were just like bashing me because I don't like that movie. I think it's dumb. And it is so <laughs> nice to hear you say that people who are watching movies are a lot smarter than we're giving them credit for. You know, and, yes. and they'll see the Halloween remake, and yeah, they might dig it, and they might be more into it than the original, but they're going to see the original, and I think they're going to they're going to recognize it for 
the influence and for what it was at the time. It's like, um, like again, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the movie set. Like, where I live, this is so embarrassing, where I live, I walk places to places. I really don't like driving, but if I have to, I have to. And I probably shouldn't say this, but sometimes I've, like, I've been on one set where I just drove on my permit. Whatever. <laughs> and I was on this other set, and we had these big SUV cars. And I was like, I'm uncomfortable driving it. And they're like, well, you know, you can move forward. And I said, I don't, I don't work with these kind of cars. You know, what I have is a small fit. Hmm. And they were like, and that's what I, you know, I use sometimes. And and they were like, well, you know, you can just, and can you go backwards and reverse? And I said, no, I'm uncomfortable with it. And they're like, well, you can just take your foot off the brake. I said, what the fuck do you not, not understand about being uncomfortable? <laughs> like, well, you drove the hearse in, you know, this other movie. And I said, yeah, I couldn't see out the back of it. And I had somebody else go walk down the street and reverse it because I felt uncomfortable doing it. Nice. Oh, what's my point? Oh, but and like in this movie, this other movie, they're like, "Well, how are people going to know that you went to the set ground?" I said, "Don't doubt your audience. The audience is going mm-hmm. to make up the story on how we got to the campsite. It's not hard. They took a car, right?" <laughs> and I said, "I'm not doing it. And if you have a problem with it, send me home." And I walked off. That's awesome. You know, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's stuff like that. Like somebody was like. Oh, we have to reshoot the scene because they forgot your jacket because you had to go do this. I'm like, no, after I do this, the audience is going to go, oh, she forgot this. So they're going and maybe they she tied something to stop the bleeding and she found her jacket. You you know, the audience, you never doubt the intelligence on your audience. And I think that's what I think when a film director does that, you know, I think that's when things go downhill. Yeah. Yeah, you have to respect whoever's watching the movie. You know, they have a brain. They can figure things out. You know, you don't have to show them everything. So Exactly. Like, if you're making out in the bed and you see someone take off a guy's shirt, you don't have to show the sex unless you blatantly want it. We all know what you do. Move on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Man, it's like we're separated at birth or something here because this is 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 like... It's so nice to meet someone where I don't have to explain every little thing of detail like that. No, no, you're you're exactly right. And again, this I'm still reeling from this whole last house on the left thing because I've met nobody that agrees with me on this. And all of a sudden, there you are. And that's that's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm not <sighs> open about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can't be, especially in horror, because people love that film. And if you bash it, man, it's like bashing the, you know, like Army of Darkness. That uh, I don't know if you have you seen Army of Darkness. I'm going to bring this up, and it's going to piss people off again. I'm no, sure. No, but I liked Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Evil Dead's a great movie, and Army of Darkness I hated. And it's like one of these movies that you know horror fanboys they all just love, and everyone's like Army of Darkness, greatest movie, and 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 i watch it and i'm like this is this is stupid i mean come on let's go back and watch evil dead again you know there's something like that but yeah i i don't know maybe maybe we'll talk about that some other time because i'm hoping you know this has been a lot of fun tonight and i'm really hoping that maybe you'd, you'd uh, come on again and we can talk about some other movies and, and oh uh, heck yeah uh, i'm willing nice nice well i'm going to rate uh wait until dark do i think that horror fans should see this and yes um it's an investment 
It's very psychological. It's it's something along the lines of Hitchcock. You watch it and you could swear that Hitchcock, you know, came back from the grave and he made this movie somehow um, for most of it. But all of the terror and the things that grip you and will really scare you are at the very end of the film and it pays off. You just have to go through the rest of the movie and you you can't expect horror, jump scares and blood and, and gore and everything like that. That's not what this is about. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. This is a fantastic movie. It's little wonder that Hepburn was nominated for awards for this film. And this is recognized as such an influential film in this era. So 9 out of 10. Go out and buy this movie. Watch it. Enjoy it. You're going to watch it more than once. And Heck yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Melanie, this has been so fantastic. You are you're really, really cool. And uh, you, you too. So I'm going to put all your links up in the show notes, of course, where people can find out more about you and what you're doing. Uh, is there any uh, plug that you want to give out here before we uh, kind of wrap things up for the night? To go on Facebook and type in The Limo Driver. It's my first non-horror comedy. And you have to YouTube a movie called, you can see the trailer, and it's called A a, uh, Psycho Magnet, A True Love Story. That is by Claire Fluff Llewellyn, who makes Skinny Cow, it's by Keith Skinny Cow Productions. It's so funny. It's so campy. I love it. Nice. It's one of my favorite trailers. Awesome. So, yeah, all of this will be available to everybody listening. And uh, Melanie, like I said, uh, you know, I hope I hope we're going to do this again sometime soon. I've had so oh, much fun, much so. and Thank I have I have so many ideas. I, I, I there are a lot of movies now I want to talk with you about because I think we could uh, get some interesting discussion on. So. Thank oh, you. Can shoot me emails the list so we can have something to discuss. I will. I will. Awesome. So thank you. thank you again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, and you're very welcome. You know the legend, son. My dad was way into all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, you all going out there? Best watch your step. There's worse things than gators, you know. <laughs> All right, I got a movie for you here. It's called Creature, and it's relatively new. came out in 2011. It's straight to DVD. Uh, Directed by a guy named Fred Andrews, and uh, there are actually several Fred Andrews that I know, um, and uh, but this guy isn't one of them. (laughs) I thought I might have heard of him before directing something else, but he hasn't done a whole lot. Um, The tagline for this is, Terror Has Teeth. And starting out watching this movie, I'm, I'm immediately reminded of movies like Rogue and things like that, like your, your typical gator attack movies. And I thought that's what it was going to be about because I didn't know anything about this going into it. But here's what we're dealing with with Creature. A group of 20-somethings is vacationing in the Louisiana Bayou. And, of course, these 20-somethings are interested in pretty primarily just camping out, drinking, smoking weed, and having sex. You know, I've only seen this exact same thing like a billion times. So, of course, stop at the old rundown shop and get some gas, get some refreshments. And uh, the weird guys that are working there tell them about this local legend, the legend of Lockjaw, the half-man, half-gator who kind of became that way through this weird mix of incest, cannibalism, and gator killing. So, of course, our our brave protagonist, whom you never really care about at all throughout this entire movie, 
But uh, they can't help but to find out more about this legend, of course. They're very curious. And they go to the house where the Lockjaw thing was supposedly born. And, of course, as the movie goes on, they meet him and blah, blah, blah. You can pretty much figure out what happens from there. So I think maybe you can tell by kind of my my lackluster enthusiasm about this film is, uh, you know, it really wasn't that great. Um, now, I have to I have to say one thing um, is that uh, there are some pretty decent casting decisions here made, I think, but not by the main characters. I really didn't care about any of the main characters. Uh, the only main character that I had actually seen before was uh, Amanda Fuller. And, uh, you know, she did a decent job in the film, I guess, for what it was. Um, but uh, she played one of the main roles in Red, White, and Blue. So I recognized her from that. Um, but also, Sid Haig plays a major role in this film. And I thought Sid did a pretty good job in this. Um, and one thing that I've learned through watching all of Sid Haig's, or, you know, a lot of Sid Haig's horror movies, is that, you know, if I'm ever out somewhere, maybe I'm not quite familiar with the location, and I pull into an old rundown place that Sid Haig is at. I'm just getting out of there right away. I'm not sticking around, no matter what. You know, we've seen this in Spider Baby. He lives at that old rundown house, and his relatives come and, and try to try to take the place over and whatever. And bad things happen. House of a Thousand Corpses. He runs the old you know spook show house shop thing. You know, and you don't want to stick around there. You know. So in this movie, again, he's at this old rundown shop and the kids meet him and they decide to go investigate this legend and bad things happen. So listeners, take my advice. You see Sid Haig working at this old out of the way in the middle of nowhere place. It's all run down and kind of weird. It just just leave. Just get out of there. <laughs> but I will say on a personal level, I have met Sid Haig before and he's a fantastic guy. So, yeah, just crazy. Creeps me out, man. Bad things, bad things. <laughs> no. oh, but uh, anyhow, yeah, um, the, uh, the other cast member here that I have seen before and I thought did a decent job was Pruitt Taylor Vince. Um, and you probably won't recognize his name, but he just played Otis on The Walking Dead. And I, I, I know I've seen him in a lot of other places throughout the years. And uh, he had a short run as Otis in The Walking Dead in Season 2. But uh, he's also in this as well. So faces that I recognized in this film, which is a big plus. So we start off the movie. The very first scene that you see is a girl swimming in the gator swamp in the nude. And immediately I thought of Zombie Lake. Wow, this is exactly how Zombie Lake starts out. <laughs> And if you know Zombie Lake, it's a horrible, horrible movie. I mean, barely watchable. And so I'm like, well, here's what I'm in for with Creature. And it, it, not that it uh, really tainted uh, my outlook on the whole rest of the movie, because I did try to give this a fair shot. But this did not do anything for that. That scene really did nothing to add to the whole rest of the movie. Like, I kind of maybe see a slight connection with, with stuff that went on later. But really, that was just in there just because, again, you know, your typical you know, horror fanboys out there, you know, want to see their nudity. They want to see their naked girls. They want to see their sex. And so that's why they put it in here. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of sleazy as far as I saw. It had nothing, nothing really much to do with anything. But uh, the plot, you know, is kind of confusing for a while. You're trying to figure some stuff out. And while that's cool in a lot of movies that are specifically crafted that way... 
I just um, thought that this was more due to it was just kind of awkwardly written um, because you're trying to figure things out, but not in a very interesting way, it, it, not in a very suspenseful way. You know, it was more frustrating throughout the film. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, I just wasn't very into this. There are a few things, you know, you're, you're kept wondering. There's a lot of menacing POV shots looking through the branches in the woods with a lot of growling and gurgling. And you know, Lockjaw's out there somewhere. But once you see Lockjaw, you're just like, really? That's it? That, that's what the, the half man, half gator looks like? Seriously? Yeah. I wasn't that impressed. Um, creature, it wasn't all that great. Um, but I will give it credit in that there was no CGI used in this. Uh, everything looked practical to me as far as I could tell. So I got to give it props for that. I, I just, uh, wish that they would have had a bigger budget and they could have uh, done more makeup wise and gore wise. It was pretty violent in a lot of parts, but it wasn't, wasn't pulled off all that great. The rest of the movie is very polished. It's very smooth. It is shot, um, very competently, you know, from a cinematography standpoint, I think they got it right. You know, they know they they could light stuff well, did some interesting camera movements. Um, but I wish just for a movie like this, it could have been grittier. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of grit to it. It was very clean and polished as far as the look went. Uh, and I think it would have been a little scarier, a little spookier. It would have sold the whole spooky swamp thing a little bit better if it would have been just a little dirtier, a little dirtier. Um, and that's that's my gripe overall. It just lacked style, and it, it just felt like it lacked inspiration. And uh, it, it lacked a, a budget as well. So, oh, yeah, unfortunately, I was disappointed with this. Um, so I'm just going to give it kind of a, a middle of the road. Uh, the, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 um, because there, there was a lot that was competent about this. And, yeah, that, I mean, this could be a movie that you could rent with your friends and just, to, you know, get a six-pack and just maybe have some fun with it. But otherwise, eh, Creature just isn't all that great. That's when Uncle Reed, uh, he come walking out of the bedroom, you know? He was dead a minute before. I swear to God. He was not dead. He couldn't have been. He, you were wrong. You made a mistake, that's all. He was dead. I know he was. What happened? Uncle Reed, uh, he went after my cousin Satchel, you know? He, he went after him like, uh, I don't know. Well, there we go. That's been episode one of The Electric Chair. Thank you for listening. I, I really appreciate all the support for the show. Of course, there are a lot of other fantastic podcasts here on the Horror Palace Network. Make sure you check out the Monster Feed. Check out the other brand new podcast that just grew out of the weekly horror movie podcast, which is Jay of the Dead, Bill Shetty, Doc Shock, and Terra Tovey which is Horror Metropolis. So their their first episode just hit here a couple days ago, and uh, you're going to want to go check those guys out, as well as all the other great, great things. I don't want to leave, you know, people out, you know, on, on the Horror Palace, uh, but, uh, you know, you know where to find them, horrorpalace.com. Thank you once again to Melanie Roble for joining me. Make sure you go check her out and everything that she is getting into. Of course, I'm going to have links up where you can find out more about her. Uh, uh, next week, I have another fantastic guest for you, and you're going to want to listen again. 
you can follow me. I'm still going by Weekly Horror on uh, Twitter. And, you know, I've kind of built up a lot of friends and followers and stuff on there. So, yeah, twitter.com slash weeklyhorror is where you can find out all about this show and about me and other things going on on the Horror Palace Network. Of course, my personal website is midnightcory.com. And there you go. Join me again next week for another edition of The Electric Chair. <laughs> <laughs>